Hi, this is Bob Lark, and you're listening to Back to the Bins. <laughs> To back to the bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and everybody has abandoned me today, so I threw out the call, and as is his usual way, Mr. Chris Tyler said, you want it, you got it, here I am. Here I am. Welcome aboard, <laughs> Hero. Uh, yes, always a pleasure to be on Back to the Bins. And thank you for, for heeding the call. I, you can always count on me to heed. I don't know if I can count on you to heed. You you didn't seem to heed much when you were up here in Long Island, or down here in Long Island from your perspective. That that was vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no heeding for that weekend. No. <laughs> what's what's new? What have you been reading lately? Anything? I don't really have time right now. Um, if anything, I'm rereading Preacher, sort of, because I've been watching the show and covering it with uh, Scott 2.0. So. Yes, I, I have yet to hear any because I have yet to watch any. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll work well to uh, watch an episode and listen to the recap. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna end up probably uh, binging it after the season, and I'll I'll do that. I'll watch one, I'll listen to the show, and then I'll sit down and watch the next one. Excellent. So, but, uh, I'm glad you guys are doing that. I, I I find that that's a great way to watch a current show when you know you watch it and then you get the opinions on it before the next show comes out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh. It's fun doing. I'm I'm having fun doing it. So and, and there's going to be more stuff in the pipeline that the two of us are doing. So it's not just going to be preacher. But for uh, we got so excited about preacher that we kind of put everything else on the back burner. And so let's cover this first. Are you guys uh, when you when you're reviewing the episodes? Are you putting out reviews? Uh, not reviews. Predictions for what you think is going to happen. Uh, we do it just general discussion in terms of well, it's kind of like the comic. This really isn't like the comic. I think they can pull in this. Blah blah blah. So. It's, uh, I mean, it's all just out of our behinds, and whether or not any of it comes to fruition, we're still waiting to see on that because there's a couple episodes left. Sadly, I don't have any of the uh, any of the books, and I have not read them. You, you know what? Um, if you haven't, it's one of my favorite series of all time, limp finite series. If you haven't read it at this point, I would say watch this first season. If you're intrigued enough by it, then go grab the books. Okay, that, well, that, that was going to be exactly the question, was should I go to the library and get the books first and read them, or should I watch it and then it won't harm the reading experience? I think definitely you should read it regardless, but um, to maybe not spoil yourself so that there are some surprises on the show, I would say just, you know, watch the first season first and then go and read everything because you'll be able to... It's If you like what the book does, you'll burn through it. I, when I started reading it, it was a couple years after all the trades had finally come out, I went to my LCS and it was, all right, I've heard good things about this. I bought the first trade. Two days later, I went back and bought the next two trades. Three days later, I went back and bought the next two trades. So, I mean, I had ended up buying the whole series in like less than two weeks. So Okay, well, I'm going to have to make a point of running by the library and getting volume one and just starting to go through it. Yeah, I'd probably wait until I, I think if you wait till season one's over, I th don't think there'll be too much overlap between what volume one has and what they're doing in season one right now. So. Well, I know Andy and Michael covered it on Hey Kids, and they they were very high on it. It's uh, and a lot of people say it's like the, their favorite thing. So it's definitely one of my favorite things that has a definitive beginning, middle, and end in comics. 
Yeah, I'm gonna put that on. It's gonna be in the queue, along it's with the other things. But uh, we'll see if you know if this is one I actually get to. All right. Just checking. Hold on. So just sorry, I'm getting a message. Incoming message from the big giant head. <laughs> no, I'm the big giant head, but that's what's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Gardner's got a pretty big head. Yeah, well, that's that's figuratively and literally, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually haven't been finding time to read anything lately, which is kind of sad. It's also the summer. Who, you know, I, I love reading too, but it's the summer. You got to enjoy the weather while it's good. Oh, the last couple of last two weeks or so, we've had a lot of weather in the nineties. So, oh yeah, it's I've enjoyed the air conditioning, which should be ideal for reading some comics. If I put my air conditioner in, uh, it, that's all you'll hear. So I, um, I'm sweating for you people. I'm sweating for this. Right, well, on behalf of everyone who listens, all three of them, I thank you. Thanks, all three of you. <laughs> So uh, it's been a long time since we had the last installment of Heroes Sleepwalker Corner. It has been quite a while. Well, you we, can't give you can't do Sleepwalker every time you're on. Otherwise, you know, then my run on this show will be finite, and uh, <laughs> I'd like to drag it out. I think we've had two or three appearances since the last, or two. You've had two or three appearances since the last. I think so. I had the uh, the Superman and something else. Like you, and well, we did a, a a movie review one with you. Oh yeah. So that's at least two. And there's probably been others. But we've left Spider-Man chained and thrown on the... Uh, the slab. On the, the drug lord's uh, table for quite a while. Oh, Crime Wave wishes he was a drug lord. He's not even a drug lord. So I guess we're going to jump into the Marvel book for this episode, which is uh, Sleepwalker number 6, cover date of November 91, on sale September of 91, cover price $1. The title is Web of Confusion Part 2, the writer was Bob Budiansky, the artist was Brett Blevins, the letter was Chris Iliopoulos, and the colorist was Mary Javins. So, we open with Spidey chained up and roughed up, and he's lying on a slab in front of Wilson Fisk and Crime Wave, as there's a recap drawn inside the close-up of Spidey's head. Recap of last issue. Crime Wave gloats to Fisk, while the Kingpin says that Crime Wave has now dug his own grave. Sleepwalker rouses himself from the bomb blast of last issue, claiming that he can't fail Spider-Man. We cut back to Crime Wave and Kingpin trading some gangster dialogue, with Fisk saying that Crime Wave shouldn't proclaim victory before the battle is over. You never want to have <laughs> the Kingpin tell you that. Um, so we cut back to Sleepy, uh, who's staggering towards Carmella. She's the uh, buzz-cutted, buxom, blonde uh, mall of Crime Wave. And uh, she's a uh, trains her gun on Sleepwalker, and right as that happens, a gun is trained on her. And then we cut to a bit later, and we see Sleepwalker finding Spider-Man, and he starts to use his warp vision for something that we'll see momentarily. Oh, don't worry, we also get explained what happened when that gun got pulled on Carmella later on. So the time has come. Crime Wave hoists Spider-Man up on the chains that he's been bound in, and he's ready to expose Spider-Man's true identity and snuff him out on camera. Crime Wave removes Spider-Man's mask, only to see the angry face of Sleepwalker beneath it. It's a clever ruse as the real wall crawler swings in, delivering double barrel kicks to Crime Wave's cronies, and Sleepwalker busts through the chains that he's in. The heroes chase Crime Wave, who tries to, tries to trap Spider-Man with rigged up spools of thread. Yes, 
rigged up spools of thread, people. This is classic stuff. Sleepwalker tries to pursue, but <laughs> Crime Wave causes some giant sp same spools of thread to fall on Sleepwalker as he gets away. The heroes clean up the uh, mobsters who remain, and they're lamenting that Crime Wave and some of the other goons did get away. But uh, Sleepwalker tells Spider-Man that he knows where Crime Wave will be tonight and that they will see him. Sleepy has a note with the location uh, Crime Wave will be at, and just as he mentions that to Spider-Man, Sleepwalker disappears, and uh, Sleepwalker has been toting Spider-Man on his back while floating across the, the river. Uh, so Spider-Man falls in the drink along with the note. Spider-Man's not able to find it. So this causes Spider-Man to have to track down Rick Sheridan, who, who he bumped into last issue. And uh, remember that that's the human host of Sleepwalker. And he lets Rick know that he needs to sleep, see Sleepwalker. And Rick says that he'll try, but it may take a while. After several hours with Spider-Man doing his best Superman Returns Superman outside of Rick's house, uh, Rick finally submits to sleep and Sleepwalker emerges. And Spider-Man, who's been waiting outside for this whole time, joins up with the big green guy and off they go. So we cut to Crime Wave's next nefarious act. He's pushing around a woman's fashion designer at the launch of his new apparel. Yeah, this guy is nefarious. Absolutely nefarious. He's holding the uh, models hostage for ransom. So Sleepwalker and Spider-Man make their way over to the address that Sleepwalker remembered from the piece of paper. And uh, they see that Crime Wave and the hostages are in a van and they set in to strike. As they do so, the van pulls its best uh, 80s style toy line uh, <laughs> transforms itself and deploys some countermeasures. Looks like some Doc Ock style arms and some guns <laughs> that are coming out of it. It looks like something you would have seen out of a mask uh, toy. Sleepwalker and Spider-Man dis uh, disarm the countermeasures on the van, but during the fracas, Crime Wave sneaks out. He gets his camera trained on the van and he's got a button in his hand and the van is rigged to blow. So he's taping the videotaping the whole thing, ready to show the world that, you know, he's killed Spider-Man. Kablamo! The van goes up, and Crime Wave cheers. But the combined powers of Spider-Man's webbing to shield everyone, and Sleepy's warp beam to tunnel a hole down into the ground so they could all be safe, have ensured the safety of everyone that was in that rigged van. The heroes wrap up the baddies, and the models are safe now to go back to the fashion show. Thank God. So during the, um... Post-excitement denouement, Spider-Man asks Sleepy how he knew where to find Crime Wave. Sleepy recounts that a large man pulled a gun on Carmella before she was able to shoot him, and he forced her to write down everything that she knew about Crime Wave's next heist. Clearly, one of Kingpin's goons was involved, which Spidey is sort of taken aback by. So we cut to Fisk gloating that Crime Wave shouldn't have tangled with the Kingpin without the devotion of all of his soldiers. And then we see Carmella pouring Fisk a drink, toasting to devotion. Our issue ends with an epilogue. A few nights later, Sleepwalker is waxing poetic about his plight. Well, well you know, this is all inner monologue. And uh, he returns to Rick's bedroom, only to see that Rick is starting to fade from existence and disappear. Now, I do need to grab the comic because I didn't write down what next issue is, but I do have to read it because it's a doozy. Let me flip to the final page. Next issue. An Infinity Gauntlet crossover. Are you ready, everybody? Sleepwalker battles his most ferocious foes yet, the Deadly Chain Gang. Wow, that was um, that was a second part of a two-part story, all right. <laughs> I have no idea who the Chain Gang is, so I'm going to have to look forward to that for the next time we... Uh... Oh, more, more fun ensues. Uh, but this issue, um, 
Remember when stories could take place in two issues? <laughs> I remember when they could take place in one issue. Yeah, but I mean, one issue, great, but I mean, two. Here, you had a beginning, a middle, and end in two issues. You got a whole story. Granted, it's not the best story, but at least it's a full story. It's got classic Marvel characters in there. You still got Spider-Man, and you still got Fisk. Um, it's not going to set the world on fire, but hey, you know, I'm curious to see what your take on this one was, because uh, nostalgia may be clouding me on this. I'm not sure it is, because I think I've kept a pretty open mind throughout these issues of Sleepwalker, and I've, I've allowed myself to be won over by them. And, and I'm kind of reading them as we go along. I, I, I'm not jumping ahead. You know, every time you come on, I read the issue you're going to do, and then we talk. All right. So, uh, I, like I said, I haven't read the Chain Gang issue, and I don't know what, what to expect from that. <laughs> but, uh, like this two, two issue set, I, I definitely think I waited too long to read the second part. Yeah. Probably with it being a to, to be continued as it was on a cliffhanger, I probably should have read the second part, whatever, three months ago, four months ago when we covered the first part. <laughs> so it, I think it loses a little something, a little bit of its momentum from that. Yeah. But overall, I enjoyed it. I I, I think so far, you know, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head in the way you've described it in the past, that it's it's kind of, you know, a throwback. It's in the 90s, but it's not really a 90s book. So. No, it's Marvel Age 60s style. I mean, the the plots so far haven't been super outlandish, and the villains really haven't been... They're not 90s villains, you know? Yeah. There's not, not a lot of huge guns, except on the, the murder van. <laughs> the murder van. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, some of the artwork, I feel, lets me down a little. Yeah, the artwork isn't great. <laughs> Is this still Rick Leonardi? I... No, Rick Leonardi was a fill-in. Okay, so... This is uh, Brett Brett Blevins. So, yeah, uh, Brett Blevins and Bob Budiansky created the character. The Leonardi issue was a fill-in. Eventually, Blevins leaves the book, and uh, there's a new artist on it um, who's a little bit more 90s, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, I... The art work, I felt, was, like, kind of really inconsistent. Some of the splash-like pages in here... Seem to be pretty solid, you know. Good, good images conveys a mood, but some of the storytelling I feel is lacking. Some of the uh, anatomy is really just crazy. Yeah, and some of the perspectives I feel like you know, not choices that I would have made, not choices that I feel are particularly helpful in following the story. It's not the best, but I mean that that splash inside the the middle of the book when. Uh, the heroes are going after the bad guys. I mean, that's, you know, it's still not super great. Spider-Man looks way too buff. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's about as... Walker looks way too buff. Yeah, they didn't keep him lean and mean uh, for long. And, and it, that is one of my biggest complaints with the book overall, is that they really... I don't know if they felt compelled to draw him like, uh, you know, like a cable or somebody else. But I think this even would have been too early. I mean, we're still in 91, it really wasn't the 90s yet. So, I mean, eventually that is what happens with the book. They, they do stop drawing him uh, as odd as he was originally presented, and he does become more prototypical uh, action figure physiqued during the course of the book. Yeah, I, I like him better as more wraith-like. Yeah, it fits the character more, but yeah, that didn't last too long. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, the page... I think it's the one right after the double split. No, it's actually several past it. Where is the... Now I lost the page I was looking at. Sorry. This has got to be compelling listening. <laughs> the, the page where uh, 
with is the explosion and Spider-Man saves him with the webbing. Yeah. Really hard to kind of follow what's going on there. You can't. You really can't. It's a, it is kind of a mess. If you, it, it, if it looks you can't like pick should... up. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. If you can't pick out that Sleepwalker's looking down at the ground with the warp beam, if you are reading it real fast and you don't see that, you're totally lost. And and it looks like he, he was trying to be a little overly clever with his angled panels. It didn't really... I, I, guess, I guess the effort was to give it kind of a mayhem kind of feel about it. Yeah, the panel structure on that page in particular is not is not great. Uh, just pick up the book, you'll see. It's um... I'm, I'm, So overall, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty happy with this series that, that you've introduced me to it because I was really totally unfamiliar with it. And then uh, when they had one of those 25 cents sales, I picked up probably better than half the run yeah. for a quarter of a book. Yeah. So, you know, I was happy with that, but of what we've read so far, six issues in, I think this is this is the weakest of the six. Yeah, it's well. I mean, crime. It's crime wave. I don't think he's ever been back. It's you know, it's we got to get our biggest character together with our newest character and sell copies. Um, I expected a little better from a Spider-Man team up, though. Yeah, um, it's not. I, I mean, I don't. I don't mean to put you on the spot. You didn't. No, it's this. not the best. No, I, reading it when it came out, I was like, yes, my favorite Marvel character is with this new guy that I love. That's awesome. Going back and reading it, it's it's nothing special. Um, I it you know it probably it probably would have fallen right in line with you know it, it, this could have if this had come out in the seventies it would have fit into you know the a generic run of Marvel team up like it was nothing uh, because it's just you know another issue. Yeah, and I think I think the story was acceptable. It was decent. It was kind of you know kind of just inconsequential fun. I think is the best way I, w- I could describe that. But I'm really mostly let down by the artwork. I yeah, they, think it's it's very difficult to follow. It almost makes it a little bit of a, a slog to get through the issue, which uh, a, a light, breezy story like this and you yeah. know, explosions I mean, and murder are supposed to be light and breezy, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, it, it part, of the, part of the Sleepwalker works the best when the street-level villains that he faces are completely outlandish. And yeah, like it, it actually, yeah, and it shines a little bit higher when they start to do stuff in the, you know, getting into the sort of Dr. Strangey type realm of the metaphysical with it, which, you know, with this character is what you can do. But if you, I mean, if you're going to be dragging Spider-Man into the book, I know Spider-Man's dealt with everything and he had the power cosmic for a while, but it's, you're going to usually just do street level type stuff with Spider-Man. So that's why you've got this D-list gangster who's (laughs) completely forgettable. And his big plan was to <laughs> ransom some fashion models back to the fashion designer. I mean, but part of me just loves the fact that that's it. I mean, it's not I'm going to end the world. It's I want money, so I'm stealing these women. Which, you know, that that wouldn't fly as a as a two parter, you know, premise now in a book. It's just not going to happen. And um, I guess theoretically, he shouldn't have been worthy of the kingpin's notice. Hmm. Yeah. But I, like, yeah. That, I mean, this is it does. It does show you how amazing the kingpin is, though. I mean, it's you. You might think you're the the hotness, but the kingpin's always got an ace up his sleeve, man. You can't you can't mess with him. He's not going to let you. He's the kingpin for a reason. He's untouchable. Yep, that's very true. Yeah, it's um, it's a it it's still fun, but it is in this you know the stuff the team up stuff and there's more to come. I mean, we haven't gotten to Ghost Rider or Deathlock or Mister Fantastic yet. Um, but those are 
rather inconsequential in terms of the run. You're not going to do anything major when there's a guest star in the book. You know, it is just a way to drive sales, which and I and I get it. You know, you you're trying to launch this character. I don't recall Darkhawk having as many um, guest appearances early on, but I could be wrong. Uh, maybe they just were trying real hard, or maybe uh, I don't know if it was Marvel mandated or if. Um, or if Bob Budiansky just wanted to play with other Marvel characters, I really don't know. It could um, be as simple as he wanted to play with them in order to get attention to his book. Which I, is a totally valid reason for putting them in. I mean, that's why Spider-Man and Wolverine always show up. But uh, no, it's uh, reading it as a kid, though, I was like, I was so, so excited. Uh, you know, my favorite Marvel character and a new hero that I was really digging teaming up. It was only a matter of time. I mean, they got to them real early. Issues five and six, you know. <laughs> now, you gotta, gotta sell those books. Um, it isn't the best stuff that the series uh, does. There is better stuff down the road um, and far more interesting stuff that does come. But, I mean, if you're laying the groundwork for having the new character be kind of dunked into the broader Marvel universe, there's worse ways to do it, I guess. Um, like, potentially the upcoming infinity crossovers that are coming up well i'll tell you you know i mean like i said i was a, felt like i was a little let down by this issue although overall i'm still very uh very upbeat on this series and i'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the infinity infinity gauntlet it's a uh, when it really gets into it uh, there's a couple i think there's really only one major one and um it's interesting but i mean it's it's skippable because it really is just a crossover like you really don't even need to read it for the series be interesting to see this character as drawn by somebody who could do like real far out stuff like Steve Ditko. I'd love to see a Ditko's version of this. If any if any of you aspiring artists out there are reading this, Mark Kalmbach, if you could do a Ditko inspired inspired Sleepwalker, I I would love to see that because I think that would be right up your alley. I'd also be interested in seeing this drawn by somebody who could do something really dark like Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah, now, geez, now I'm thinking about what a Mike Mignola sleepwalker would look like. It would probably be super spooky. Yeah, well, you you, you definitely could not go with the lighthearted storytelling with Sinkevich or Mignola. <laughs> no, and it, and this this does go some darker places, but um, for the time being, it's still kind of rooted firmly in that, uh, you know, comics are still in that 70s, 80s vein of bright colors, and the bad guys aren't you know, uh, child molesters and rapists and things. It's, uh, you know, we've got some, we've got some gangsters and here's two heroes and they're going to stop them. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, we still have, this, this series ran a decent amount, right? There's like 33 issues and a special, and he crossed over in a couple of other books. Yeah. So, so hero sleepwalker corner could potentially go on for about another five or six years. Easy. Oh, I plan on dragging it out that long, <laughs> unless there's de- high demand for me to finish this. Well, originally your thought was to do a like a, a uh, podcast uh, maxi series, right? Yeah, I was going to do an index show, but um, the opportunity arose to uh, to do it on back to the bin. So I figured um, might as well ingratiate myself and uh, keep this partnership going. <laughs> well, whenever we went, I don't even remember. I guess it's two summers ago that we did uh, assistant editors, editors month. month. Yeah. Cause, so it's two years to get through six issues. So oh, good, All right, three so... issues. We got a while. Oh, thank God. Well, like you said, you don't want to do it every time you're on. No, you got to keep it fresh. I, you know, I'll have to do a, you know, a DC or an independent the next time I'm on. So, keep it, uh, keep it, uh, keep it wacky, man. <laughs> you want to rate this? Uh, yeah, let's do that. All right. So the cover is, um, well, it's purple. <laughs> 
so yeah, the yeah uh, the background of the cover is purple. The um the masthead is in yellow, and it looks like there's a spotlight behind uh, both Sleepwalker and Spider-Man who are on the cover, both wearing Spider-Man outfits. Spider-Man's face is also, again, inexplicably shadowed, and he's got a speech bubble that just has a question mark in it, which really doesn't make any sense. And uh, we see Sleepwalker uh, maskless in a Spider-Man costume. It says, make way, Spider-Man. There's a new web slinger in town. And you can see the tips of some uh, guns pointed at them and some really abstract yellow and red lines coming out from where the guns are. It's really not a great effect. Uh, it would have worked better without those lines crisscrossing the um, the negative space in the background. And it's uh, it tells you that it's Sleepwalker and Spider-Man teaming up. That being said, uh, Sleepwalker looks pretty good, a little too buff, but uh, the anatomy on Spider-Man this time isn't as wonky as the, the last covers was, but the light sourcing for the face is, uh, again, there's no reason for it other than the fact that somebody really wanted to put Spider-Man's face in shadow without the rest of him in shadow. Uh, it's nothing special. It's firmly in the uh, the C range. Uh, interior art, again, um, it's not great and it's not consistent. Also, right at that C level. And the story, uh, as slight as it might be, I still did enjoy rereading this after uh, so many years. I would give it a C plus. I know that's probably a little higher than where it really belongs. Nostalgia is definitely tinting my um, my brain on this one, though. So. Overall, it's it's a C book, and I don't think that's an unfair grade. No, I don't think so, and I think we're going to be similar in many ways. Uh, I think the cover is a little misleading. All they all they wanted to give you on the cover was, "Hey, Spider-Man's in this issue, so buy it." Uh, but the Spider-Man image on the cover with the uh, askew eye uh, holes and the question yeah. mark and the word balloon are telling you, "Hey, this is going to be a wacky kind of story," and that's really not what they deliver. No, it's pretty straightforward. So it's misleading. I don't like the color scheme. I don't like the actual images of the heroes. My favorite thing on the cover is the corner box with uh, Sleepwalker with his face, half his face and half Spider-Man's face, like they would do with Peter Parker uh, in the old Spider-Man comics. So the cover, I'm going to give, I'm torn between a C- and a D+. I'm going to be generous and say C-. The interior art, I think, is probably similar in many ways. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of the images are just kind of wonky. The anatomy isn't that good. I think a lot of the angle choices and a lot of the storytelling choices are weak. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, also, I'm gonna go D plus on the interior art. I'm, I'm really not happy with it. It's, it's got a couple of nice images that bring it, you know, so I can say it's not totally bad. But but this is the weakest artwork, I think, of the six issues so far. I would probably end up still leaving that one for the Leonardi fill-in, um, but uh, that's just personal preference. All right, fair enough. I don't remember. I have no recollection as to what I gave that. I don't either, but um, the artwork in that one's not good either. The, uh, the story I still kind of find to be kind of fun. It's got some silly moments in it that are enjoyable. It's, it's not, you know, it's it's relatively light fare. It's, and, I, and I felt it was enjoyable, so I'm going to say... A B minus on the story, which ultimately will give me a C book when I'm done. So we'll we'll, we'll end up in the same place. I'm a little harsher on the art and a little more uh, easy going on the story, so we level off. All right. But moving right along, I think we're gonna moving have... right along. <laughs> I think we're gonna have a quick episode today, but that's that's all right. 
I could use a good night's sleep for a change. That's what happens when you actually come with a synopsis. Yeah, exactly. And a book. You had a prepared synopsis? Yeah, that's why I was uh, 10 minutes late jumping on. I wanted to make sure I had a synopsis ready. You know, I, I just assume everything's off the cuff with you. No, no, I ain't that good. <laughs> I need my I need my teleprompter for synopsises. Well, Otherwise, I, I'd ramble like Dr. Bill. Uh, I've been known to ramble on occasion. I chose Aquaman number one. Aquaman, swift and powerful monarch of the oceans, with ability to summon and command all creatures of the deep. Aquaman, who with his teenage ally, Aqualad, guards and defends all that lives in the seas against the forces of evil. Aquaman, king of the seven seas. From June of 1989, I have no idea which volume this is, but it's, I believe it's a five-issue miniseries. Yeah. It had a cover date of June of 1989 and an in-store date of April 25th, 1989. It sold for a buck. Cover by David Devines shows a display case of some sort with various items, including Aquaman in one of the chambers, but he's smashing through the walls on either side of himself, I guess, in an effort to say, hey, this isn't the Aquaman that you all think you know even though it's the Aquaman we all think we know. <laughs> the, uh, the story is titled Aquarium. It's plotted by Keith Giffen, scripted by Robert Loren Fleming, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Al Vey, lettered by John Costanza, and colored by Tom McGraw. We find ourselves in, of all places, the ocean, where something is speeding by too quickly to see. The second page is a splash of Aquaman rushing back to Atlantis from a journey which has kept him from the city for months. He found three Atlanteans dead and an outpost destroyed, which spurred him to race back to his kingdom. On his journey home, he finds yet another outpost that's been destroyed, with soldiers dead within it. He also finds tissue from a jellyfish species that he's unfamiliar with. Aquaman then arrives to his city to find it invaded with invaders who are dismantling the Atlantis salt mines, which are Atlantis's number one trade product to the surface world. Makes he realizes, what's that? Makes sense. Yeah. He realizes he needs to get back into the city in order to figure out what's going on. And for reasons that escape me, it turns out his traditional outfit is a prison uniform, something I was fully unaware of. Yeah, that threw me for a loop too. So he allows himself to be captured as if he was escaping prison. Luckily, he just happened to be at the prison where people wear that uniform. And gets knocked out, he awakens in a prison cell for political prisoners. A shot in the prison looks like a meeting of bad Aquaman cosplayers, as they're all wearing the same outfit. <laughs> they warn him to keep a low profile and avoid being identified. Flashbacks reveal that Lord Volko, who was ruling, Aqua ruling in Aquaman's absence, suddenly died, leaving Mira, who was driven insane by the death of her baby, and Aqualad, who was unwilling to rule. The kingdom came under the rule of a dude named Pletus, who bumbled his way into failure when the invaders came to Atlantis, ultimately surrendering and being executed. That was followed by the execution of the ruling council. Good job, Pletus. So it turns out that the invaders are intelligent jellyfish. They plan to wipe all traces of the Atlanteans from the ocean using a plan initiated by humans, which I guess we're going to learn more about in later issues. Mm. Jellyfish are seeking to, do, to restore the genetic purity of the seas. And so, seeing no viable resistance, they gloat in a jellyfish kind of way. 
Meanwhile, Mira is practically catonic in her asylum room when she senses Aquaman's return to Atlantis and starts pounding on the door demanding to be let out. Aquaman decides it's time to escape and starts making his way from the prison when he's confronted by another prisoner who's intent on using him in exchange for his freedom. The two battle on a montage page with Aquaman getting the upper hand and then learning that the minimal security unit where they're being held is actually the headquarters of the resistance movement. And the story is to be continued. I kind of like this. I had never read this before. I, uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of this one. And, uh, it kind of just plunges. I don't know what, where Aquaman was at before this in terms of where, you know, he was with DC continuity at the time. Yeah, it's apparently um, he had been away for months. I'm not sure what he had been doing. It's, it really doesn't even matter what he was doing. The fact that it just sort of, uh, plunges you back into, no pun intended, uh, into Aquaman's story with him <laughs> racing back to his home and seeing how everything's gone to caca. Um, you know, it, um, it had me hooked because uh, it's, it's not an era of Aquaman that I was familiar with, uh, but it's definitely post the death of uh, Arthur Jr. there. And, uh, you know, I know that his son did die, and I can't remember what, what it was in DC continuity at the time of how it happened, but... Um, it's a great place to put Aquaman uh, coming back home and finding that he's got some work to do. On, on the negative end, it seems like anytime he leaves for an hour, uh, Atlantis gets taken over. Yeah, you have to wonder about his viability as a monarch. <laughs> or, or, or the viability of Atlantis if they can't survive an hour without him. That's what happens when you you know let somebody rule you like that. You get p- complacent. You don't have to think for yourself. It's kind of kind of pathetic when you think about it. Yeah, but uh, it, it I like I said I, I kind of enjoyed the setup. I enjoyed the story. I'm I'm curious to see where it's gonna go. Uh, yeah, it's a five issue mini. I'm just looking on the cover. It says that. So I, I I definitely wouldn't mind sitting down and reading the next four issues and hope that it pays off. You know, in, in a solid way. I just want to see more of those talking jellyfish. Yeah, I th- well, I think as far as villains go, I think they're kind of cool looking. They do. They look like something out of seventies Doctor Who. It's awesome. And I mean, they they actually have like faces. Yeah. There's the mouths and eyes, you know, or yeah. at least eye slits. There's holes. Yeah. They're uh, they almost look like uh, for you uh, people of my vintage. They almost look like Krang from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a little bit. I'm kind somewhat familiar with that look. So brainy and pink and bulbous and fleshy. Ooh, that sounds pornographic. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh. Who doesn't want to see giant evil? They're not even super giant, just evil <laughs> uh, jellyfish creatures taking over Atlantis. I, I certainly want to see it, and I, I'm pretty happy with the artwork in here too. Yeah, I really liked this. Um, I, I, I really didn't look like Kurt Swan to me. It didn't look like Superman style Kurt Swan. There's a little bit with you know some of the faces every once in a while, but it's uh it's really nice. Uh, the you know everybody's faces look different. Um, pretty detailed and a lot of the panels where you just see uh aquaman doing his aquaman thing you know where he's like the the splash page close up on him at the at the front it's i mean that's about as vintage aquaman as you're gonna get and it looks great and then a lot of the scenes with him swimming it's you can that the panel where he's yelling to atlantis in his in his head it's yeah the face is a little wonky but the the power that you're getting from that that image is it's hard to beat yeah, no, I, I, I think you know at this point in his career, Swan had become a little bland in how he presented stories, and I think the Alve inking kind of just brought it up a notch. And then yeah. you start seeing, you know, what what Kurt Swan was capable of as far as layouts and 
you know, just storytelling in general. And then, you know, the inking kind of added to the images just to make them look a little bit more detailed and a little bit more interesting. So the combination, I think, is really, really nice. I, I, I kind of like it, and I'm, I'm going to give a fair amount of the credit to the inking. I guess that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not overly done, and it's not underdone. You know, it looks like it's uh, just beefy enough to, to make things pop. And I'm very curious to know where this goes. I, I just, I just, as I page through it, though, I just find it so amusing to see all these people in the same outfit as him. Just, yeah, I, I really have. I, we need Rob Kelly on here. Um, I am not familiar with with uh, this this part of Aquaman's history. Um, but to see like these balding older men wearing the same Aquaman costume, I'm getting the feeling that uh, you know there'll probably be some great splash page coming up where he's got all the political prisoners all wearing Aquaman uniform. I'm just guessing because that's what I would do. It's you know if you're gonna rally all these resistance guys and you have them all wearing the same uniform it's going to look pretty sweet on a double page splash if they do that yeah i I, it brings to mind an image to me like of when they have like the entire green lantern core yeah battle yeah that could look sweet i love the traditional aquaman uniform i love it uh it's it's a great it's a great design Um, you know you mentioned rob kelly and he's got a picture on his facebook page of him in the aquaman costume And and now i'm just picturing him in this group of people he would look like the, uh, well, he's, he kind of looks like one of the guys in here, actually. Oh, for, for Rob's sake, we won't specify who. Uh, it's Arthur. You look like Arthur. Yes. Yeah, that's it. He looks like Aquaman. Yeah. If Aquaman had no hair. And a goatee. <laughs> well, the guy with the, the no hair and the goatee is actually uh, the, the one bad guy in the bunch. Well, I mean, Rob could have a secret life. We don't know. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I... You know, I, when I've met Rob, he's, you know, when I've spoken to Rob, rather, he always seems like such a nice guy. But, he, you know, he may be evil inside. It's always the quiet ones. That's why we know Shag is a wimp, because he just never shuts up. Um, you know who looked great? Uh, I really like this version of Mira. They, she looks pretty darn good. Yeah, she looked kind of hot when she was trying to get out of her cell. Oh, yeah. See a pound on that. Even look like the close-up of her face. Really sweet looking. I'm a sucker for redheads. Redheads and green eyes, it's like, yeah, for, yeah, I'm done. I'm toast. You got me. Um, Redhead, green eyes, and can control water. Well, that I don't really care so much about. Hey, um, <laughs> tech, tech, you can come up with a lot of tricks with that. Uh, well, let's not go there. This is <laughs> Save that for a different show. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I really like this. I wouldn't mind finishing up either uh, just to see where it goes. I, I want to see. I know I'm going to see a two-page splash with everybody in Aquaman uniforms flying towards the camera or swimming towards the camera. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it doesn't look like we're getting uh, any any um, involvement from, uh, at this time, like, you know, Ocean Master or uh, Orm or Black Manta or anything like that. So uh, it might just be these jellyfish guys, which is uh, kind of cool in and of itself. You don't really have to always bring in a an arch rival to, to tell a good Aquaman story. I was actually a little surprised that we didn't see any of them in this story. So, you know, I mean, I don't know what the next couple have to, you know, have to show us. I, I assume at some point we're going to see something of them, at least one of them, but maybe not. Probably. Maybe I'm wrong. Bring on the jellyfish. Yeah. I'm loving the evil jellyfish. Yeah. Need to read it just for that. They got to have one named Man of War. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a heck of a lot more on this one. Like I said, I, I think the you know the story is is good. It's decent. It's it's a little different than your typical first issue because of the whole Atlantis having already been taken over and 
just a little, you know, he's he's in there with the in the prison and everything. So a little different than what I would normally expect. Solid story, but to me the the, the real all star in this is the is the the artwork. I think the uh, again I'm giving a lot of the credit to Alve because at this point, like I said, I think Kurt Swan's work didn't seem particularly. Uh, inspired to me for the most part it was just kind of you know workmanlike at this point in his career yeah i mean that design for atlantis in the dome is um that is not a late 80s design that is a that is a 50s or 60s design for for atlantis with the dayglo colors and the um uh you know lincoln log uh style approach to you know what what they what do they call those damn things i don't just know a record it looks almost like connections the connections between the res- you know the respective uh, pikes on each of these buildings. It's, yeah, it's, it just it, it looks it looks to me like an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, it does. And uh, why would Atlantis need a dome over it? Um, aren't they all water breathers? I thought they were. <laughs> maybe maybe we're maybe we're we're you know again maybe Rob Kelly could shed some light on this. And uh, we need you, Rob. He should be available at all times to answer any Aquaman questions for us. If you're, yeah, well, I mean, you're the foremost Aquaman podcaster on the internet. That is your function. Well, if 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 Rob should listen to this, then I'll, hopefully we'll get an email clearing up the facts that we're not too strong on. But again, as somebody who's not totally familiar with all Aquaman lore, that's that's the way I'm I'm reviewing this. And for me, solid, you know, for the most part, a thumbs up. And I guess might as well uh, rate rate the book now. Uh, start start with the cover, and frankly, that's the weakest link in this book. Yeah. I, I don't like this cover at all. I, I it doesn't really give me a sense for what we're going to see inside. Uh, in fact, if anything, it gives me the feeling that we're going to see something more similar to like a Grant Morrison Doom Patrol type. It is a very Vertigo style cover. So I think it's very misleading, and frankly, not only is it misleading, but it's it's uninteresting to me. If I were walking, you know, through the aisles of the, the comic store, picking out what issues I wanted to get, and I saw this one, I'd probably keep walking right by it. So yeah. the cover, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say a D minus. I really don't like it at all. I, I think in execution, it's fine, and that's why it's not an F. But just as far as what it is, what it's showing, why it's showing it, and you know the the murkiness of it and all it it does yeah it is it does it's muddy for me yeah I won't be that harsh on it um, I mean I like the idea um, the thematic idea of it being like a display case but display case but it's a uh, it is muddy it's it's not I think if you I mean it wants to be like a painterly style cover but it's not good uh, like that if this was drawn just pen and ink uh, you know like a, a standard comic cover. I think it would have popped a little bit more, and it would have had a, a better effect. I I won't be as as harsh. I'd I'd, I'd go C minus on it. And I guess the the thought is to be a little meta, that he's bursting out of the you know the mold of what you think he is. But frankly, this this book is giving him to me exactly the way I think he is. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm not sure that it's serving that meta purpose anyway. Like I said, I think the cover is also misleading for what we get inside. Yes, yeah, tells you absolutely nothing. <laughs> So that's that's where I am at the cover. The actual story, I think it's not groundbreakingly different from things we've seen in the past, but it is different enough that it doesn't feel like it's just a by-the-numbers book. It feels interesting. The characters feel interesting. Circumstances feel interesting. I'm going to say a solid B on the story. And the interior art, I'm really 
I'm torn whether it's a B plus or an A minus. I'm going to go A minus because I'm very happy with the interior art. Overall, I'll give the book a, a solid B. Uh, in the uh, story, definitely a B. It's it's solid. It's better than average, um, but it's not. Uh, you know, you must have this on your shelf. I mean, without having read the rest of it, um, I guess. But as a single issue, it's solid. Uh, the interior art. Um, I would go a, a B plus on it as well. There's some color choices and some stylistic choices in here that don't quite work for me. Um, namely, the stuff with the design of Atlantis and Atlant Atlantis, Atlantis, uh, Atlantis, and um, some of the uses of uh, of pink and purple in here. Uh, it's a little washed out, um, and it's, it just doesn't work for me. But uh, you know, I you know B plus for the uh, the interior art definitely. Uh, so, I mean, overall, for me, that's going to put a... I think that would put everything right at a solid B, right? Yeah, so we we're, we both, we came up with the same final ratings on both of these books. Took slightly different routes to get there, but we, we got to the same places. Great minds. Yeah, that's that's. I'll go with that. But uh, that's about all I got. So I'll take a minute to thank you again for coming on with me. This is Anytime. a little bit of a short episode today, but... I'm, they don't all have to be marathons. It's true. Some, sometimes when you get a little... You know, a nice little like one hour drive. It's nice to get a short episode to listen to. Yeah. Uh, so you're all but welcome. before you jump off, why don't you go through the different shows that you're on? Okay. Um, you can always find me on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with uh, Chris Honeywell and Luke and Jay Jack and Eddie. I'm on a, a new show with Scott 2.0, Scott McGregor, called Weekly Heroics. It's a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. Pretty much starting off covering all of uh, the first season of Preacher, but we will be rotating in uh, Flash, Arrow, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. discussion as well. And uh, let's see, um, starting a small limited series with David Atterbury and Jonathan Kreitz. We're going to cover the new Netflix original Stranger Things. Look for that one to be dropping relatively soon as well. And uh, I think that's everything that I'm on for the time being. And I'm always popping up everywhere. You can always find me. You can find them here every once in a while. That much we know. Yeah. And I'm going to just take a second to pimp my new show, Is It Yours? Oh, yeah. Which, if you haven't listened to it yet, if you haven't found it yet, I'm just trying to let it be known that it's out there. Movie review show. We're going to we're gonna take new movies, classic movies, crap movies, and we're going to rate them on the Jaws scale. So hopefully you guys are interested in that and look for it because be, it'll be me and a rotating group of guests, depending on what movie I'm covering and who's available to cover it. We're going to have issues once I'm on there because my jaw scale might be different than your jaw scale. Oh, I, 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 I give the description of what the jaws scale is for the purposes of the show. Okay, fair enough. And so far, you know, we, we have a few episodes recorded already, and each one of them I explain how the jaws scale is not a true reflection of the actual movies. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> if I take jaws, jaws two, jaws three, and jaws four, in my opinion, jaws three is the weakest of the bunch. So, you know, despite the fact that for the Jaws scale for the show, Jaws 3 is rated higher than Jaws 4. Okay, fair enough. So As it should be. There is a controversy <laughs> there. And, and you know, it's it's got to be evenly distributed so that any movie that comes up, there will be a place for it. it you know, it can't be, well, it's got to be the equal of those four movies, or that's not really fair. So my Jaws scale is Jaws is great, a classic movie, and really, you know, Something that can be described as great. Okay. Jaws 2 is a really solid movie, not quite great, but something you know you really enjoy. Jaws 3 is, I can watch it, but it's not special. And Jaws 4 is a piece of crap. 
that's the Jaws scale for the purposes of the show. Fair enough. So when you're on, you now you'll you'll already be aware of where to go with it. But uh, hopefully, my rating you know, for every movie will be Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> <laughs> with any luck, people will tune in and listen to it because you know every one of these is a labor of love. But this is the first show that I'm kind of pumping out there. I'm getting people to come on with me, but it's my show and my show only. So all right, first time around for that. Excellent. I cannot wait to listen. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Mine won't work if I turn it on now, I don't think.